When times are hard, how should we respond? Should we whine about injustice? Should we quit working until it gets better? Obviously, or it should be, for a disciple of Jesus, the answer is no to whining and quitting. Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran from Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. In today's lesson, we'll take an in-depth look at the alternatives in our lesson entitled, Whiner, Worker, Witness, or Wonder, Lessons Learned from Ezekiel and Daniel. Here's the setting. Time has run out. After hundreds of years of warning and challenges, it's over for Judah. Ezekiel and Daniel are in Babylon. They were taken there early in a deportation that came before the end in Jerusalem. It seemed like a horrible situation, but it was really a great blessing in disguise. They were kept from the horrors of the siege and the total destruction of the city. Daniel and his three friends were taken to the palace. Ezekiel was relocated with the captive people near the river. This lesson is about both of them. I've talked about them some in previous ones, and I hope to fill in some of the blanks. Now, I'm going to go back and forth between the two, so I hope it's not confusing, but their stories really are intertwined. In the my, in the midst of unimaginable challenges, we're going to see how they didn't whine, they faithfully worked, their lives became a witness, and then the wonder of God was revealed to and through them. Our lesson today will show you how this happened, and I trust it's going to give us inspiration for the challenges that we face. Now, the setting overall for both of them in Babylon was that the policy of Babylon was somewhat different than other conquerors who simply killed and resettled, like Assyria did when they came in, just killed as many people as they could. They reshuffled the captives, brought new ones in. Babylon didn't do that. They intentionally took captives, the leaders and the young potential leaders of the nation that they were conquering. They removed them to the Babylonian Empire. They trained them and gave them positions of trust and honor. What this did is it removed the chance of rebellion from the talented potential leaders and increased the strength of the Babylonian Empire. The policy turned captives into skilled civil servants instead of rebellious slaves. Now, an application to all of us, if you are a winner in any situation, always be gracious, welcoming, inclusive. If God grants you a victory in something, don't pound on the people that you got the best of in whatever way that you did. Welcome them into whatever it is that you're doing. Now, the system worked really well. The common people were settled in places where they had their own homes, gardens, and as we can see in later years, they prospered and did incredibly well financially. So much so that when the chance came to return to their homeland, many preferred to stay, at least for a time, and they became so wealthy that they were able to give generously to the rebuilding of the temple. Application. You never know how God will work at the start of a seeming disaster. And that's what this lesson is going to illustrate. Now, this whole idea of what Babylon did, it sounds interesting. The system sounds good. But how did it work out for real people? We're going to look at the four ways of responding for Daniel and Ezekiel, how they might have responded, then what they did, and of course, what we can learn from them. Here are their options. Whiner, worker, witness, or wonder.
Now, first of all, whining. It's a natural response. We learn it from practically the time we're born. Why me? False assumptions that we might have when bad things happen include, God hates me. He's punishing me. This is a disaster. Now, all of these are most likely wrong because even if we are being disciplined for a sin, as the entire nation was, God always has our best in mind and he is in control. And he often not only makes the situation tolerable, but if we trust him, he can make it better than we can imagine. Now, here's a current example. At the Global Leadership Conference, a woman named Jamie uh, Kern-Lima was a speaker. She started out as a waitress. She worked really hard. She went to college. And then she got a dream job as a local news anchor. And then she developed that skin disease, Rosacrea, where it would cause her face to break out in great big red blotches when she was on television. And she lost her job because of that. But because of that experience, she believed God wanted her to start a cosmetic line for people like her. After many years, 100-hour work weeks, huge challenges, and when she was down to only about $1,000 in the bank, and she said that was the business account and her personal one, after years of rejection, she was finally able to go on QVC, the shopping channel. They told her she had 10 minutes to sell 6,000 items. She went on TV with a bare face, blotched, you know, red, and just really looked awful. And she showed them how her makeup worked. The 6,000 items sold. She went on to develop a company that sold for $1.2 billion, not million, billion dollars to L'Oreal. And she's now a philanthropist and author. Now, she said something at the Global Leadership Summit that I found so encouraging, where she said, rejection is God's protection. You weren't rejected. God says, I hid your value from that person because they weren't assigned to your destiny. So often, and I think in the lives of what we just saw, we can see something that happens to us as rejection. But Remember, God is in control. There's so much wisdom in that statement for us and for Ezekiel and Daniel and many of God's people, because instead of whining, how did they then respond? They submitted to their situation. We don't ever see them whining or refusing to do what God asked them to do or complaining. By their actions, they show they believed in the sovereignty of God. They lived out this verse where in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it challenges us to do everything without grumbling or arguing that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. When they did that, they, their lives really stood out. Now, with that hope and trust in God, and not focusing on themselves, not whining and complaining and wallowing and all that, then they could get to work. There's always something to do, no matter what our situation, something positive, something God ordained, no matter what's going on, there's always work to be done. An eternal perspective gives meaning to all our work. And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, where he reminds us, if you read history, 
you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. We need to keep in mind an eternal perspective, that God's in control, that he has our best coming for us, no matter how difficult things are right now. Now, the work ethic of Daniel and his friends was shown early on. They became civil service, and they were the best at their jobs. That attitude and that quality started early in their captivity. When they were first in training, they were given all this rich food and wine and all this kind of stuff, and they knew that wasn't good for them. So they asked to not eat the king's food, which is part of their training. How did they respond to being just showered with all this stuff? They didn't act offended. They didn't act insulted. Daniel politely asked for a test when he said, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he, who the man that was in charge of them, agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And here was the result. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his servants, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Our application here, their talents were God-given, but they had to apply what they'd been given. They had to be faithful in it. More in a minute on how they did that, but now let's jump to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken to Babylon, but his work was very different. This was at the same time. Daniel was at the palace. He was among the people. Now, he came from a priestly family, and when he was taken to Babylon, he had a change in location, but not in his work, not in his calling. Now, he was no longer in the comfortable, taken care of situation he would have been serving in the temple in Jerusalem, but he was still called to be a priest, a teacher and a leader in his people. And he was called to a special prophetic ministry when he became 30 years old. He was given an extraordinary vision of the glory of God. And I'll show you some artistic images of that a little bit later. But here is what God said to him. Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. That was his job. He was to preach to a people that they may or may not listen. God did not promise him success. But he said, you've got to give that message and they will know 
that a prophet's been among them. Both of them now here now have their work to do, and next, as part of it, as a result of not of no whining and working well at their jobs, each of them became a witness. People came to them, to both of them. Now, if you're faithful, if you're faithful to God and you live like he wants you to do, situations will come up. People know that you trust God. You want to be open to questions and people asking you about God. Now, you don't have to lay out every fact of your faith in one conversation. But pray for opportunities. Think about possible topics of conversation. Invite people to faith-based events, church, Bible study, church social events, Christian movies, different kinds of things where you might start talking about who God is and how he loves us and wants to be involved in our lives. Now first, here's what happened to Daniel and his friends, how opportunities came to him. They started out honored, the best at their work, but things didn't go really well overall as they might have hoped. In Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that terrifies him. He calls in his astrologers to tell him the meaning of it, but he wants to make sure they aren't just making something up. So he tells them, they have to tell him the dream first. They protest by saying, that's impossible. And the king orders all of them killed. That includes Daniel and his friends. So Daniel once again very politely responds. Daniel went in to see the king. Give me a little time, he said, and I will tell you the dream and what it means. Then he went home and told Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. They asked the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not die with the others. And that night, in a vision, God told Daniel what the king had dreamed. Daniel has the opportunity to tell the king not only the content, and he tells him about this big statue and the, what it was made of and all that, but the meaning of his dream of four future kingdoms in the near future history and also culminating with the eternal reign of the Messiah. The message will also be delivered in chapter 7. And yes, there's so much more that we can say about this, but we must move on. Then it's his friend's turn to be a witness. Now, after praising God for his great revelation, power goes to Nebuchadnezzar's head. He is quite a piece of work, and he decides that he wants to be worshipped. He builds a huge statue, and he requires everyone to bow down to him or face instant death in the fiery furnace. Daniel's friends, they don't bow down. And when they're immediately brought towards brought in front of Nebuchadnezzar, here's what they say. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The key thing here, and that is just so extraordinary, is they knew God could rescue them, but they said, even if he does not. And that is the real statement of faith and trust. God did rescue them, but he also did one more absolutely extraordinary thing because they weren't alone in the fire. He, Nebuchadnezzar, said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. This is what's known as a theophany. 
It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, of Jesus. Please see the Bible 805 lesson on the Trinity in the Old Testament. And I talk all about theophanies and the different appearances of Jesus, pre-incarnate form in the Old Testament. It's really an interesting lesson, so please do check that out. But remember that old or new, now and forever, Jesus promises to be with us always. And that means that in the midst of trials, he is there. Most of the time, he is invisible to us, but he's always there. Now, continuing in Daniel, there's this interesting little story in Daniel 4 where Nebuchadnezzar gives his testimony. It's been sometimes called the first gospel tract, where the backstory to this testimony is that he had a dream. He still exhibited great pride, so God struck him down, and for seven years he lives like an animal. But then he's restored to sanity when he humbled himself before God. And then in Daniel 4, he says, To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. He gave this wonderful testimony, this wonderful witness to the power of God. And then his story ceases. Daniel continues to be faithful. He keeps doing the work he was called to do. And one of the next stories in his life is that his successor, Belteshazzar, does not follow Nebuchadnezzar in serving God. He holds this drunken party one night, drinking from the vessels that were taken from the temple. And in the middle of the party, a hand appears and writes on the wall. And as any normal person would do, he absolutely panics. Daniel is called in, and he interprets the writing. And here's what he says. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tikal, Parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tikal, you've been weighed in the scales and are found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That night, Babylon falls. Now, another huge political upheaval. We don't know all of the different things that happened in between, but it was a fairly peaceful takeover. Completely new government comes in, and God fulfills his extraordinary promise where the Jews are allowed to return to the land. And I'm going to go into that in more detail on our upcoming lessons. But Daniel just keeps plodding along, continuing to serve. Life goes on. The new king comes in, and Daniel's once again part of the government. But, um, again, doesn't go as smoothly as he might have hoped. In Daniel 6, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 
They came up with a way to trap Daniel by saying, and they got the king to agree with this, that no one could pray to any other god than the king in for like 30 days or something like that. And of course, Daniel does it. It says three times a day he would go to his room, he would open the windows, he would pray towards Jerusalem. Now, the law of the Medes and the Persians said that if anyone did this, they'd be thrown into the lion's den. And that is where this whole story comes about that Daniel is to be thrown into the lion's den. But before we get to what happened, most people know what happened, but an application challenge here, he was an old man at this time. He was not some young boy thrown into the lion's den. He had served through king after king. Entirely different nations had been in control from being exiled as a young man. And you would think by this time that maybe God had given him a break and just let him sort of rest in his retirement. But no, he has this final huge, huge challenge. There is no retirement for God's people no excuses for old age. And in the lion's den, we know what happened. God shut the lion's mouths. And in Daniel 6, the king was really upset because he really liked Daniel. And he rushed, he, it says he got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he trusted in his God. The book now shifts from the witness to his from the witness that his life was to the wonder of his revelations but first let's go back to what was happening with Ezekiel Ezekiel as a witness he was called to be a watchman and this passage is repeated twice in both chapter 3 and 33 where God says again son of man I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me when I say to the wicked you wicked person you will surely die and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. The job of the watchman is incredibly important then and now, because that's really a call to all of us. And what a watchman he was. The situation is that the people in Babylon were in captivity because of their sin. But they didn't accept it. They kept asking for deliverance from their situation and that Jerusalem would be spared. They kept saying, and false prophets would tell them, oh, it's going to be over soon, and and it's not going to really last, and uh, Jerusalem will be spared. That wasn't the truth. Ezekiel is called to remind them of the sins that brought them where they are. And some of the book is pretty gross in some of the details that it talks about. And he also taught in a variety of ways. He was an extremely creative communicator. Many real living servant sermons, you might say. He acted out the siege. He ate the famine food. You know, the Ezekiel bread that we get, that recipe comes from uh, the book. Um, he didn't speak for a time. He preached. He counseled. He answered questions all very calmly, very confidently, just 
kept plodding along, doing what God wanted him to do. And his life was also a message. It was so sad when one day God said, your wife's going to die very suddenly, and you cannot mourn her. And that was a picture on how suddenly Jerusalem would be taken, the temple, the joy of the people destroyed, and they couldn't do a thing about it. God used his life to teach his lessons, and he continues to do that. In 1 Corinthians 1, 3, we've gone over this verse before, but it's so important to remember, where the Apostle Saul said, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, also we share in your comfort. One thing that this tells us, too, is don't judge others for what they're going through. Pray that they will accomplish God's purposes in whatever their situation is. Don't worry about being weird or people judging you. People are going to think that you're strange. And yes, you are. Get over it. (laughs) If you go against the grain, if you're in a horribly difficult situation, and you say, you know, God put me here. I trust him in it. People are going to think you're really weird. And you will be in the eyes of the world. You won't fit into the world's mold, but be brave and just be that way. And finally, because they did those things, the wonder came to them. Based on their life of faithful witness, both were given glorious visions. These would not have come if they'd not been faithful in not whining and working and witnessing. And now... They're given the visions from God. Daniel's have already been mentioned in the succeeding kingdoms of the earth and the ultimate kingdom of the Messiah. Ezekiel, they're ones throughout the book, and he sees some fantastic visions. The content, the meaning of his visions, what they actually look like, have been the theme of art throughout the ages. And I'm going to show you a few of the copyright-free ones. And if you're listening on the podcast, do take time to look at the video on this, and you see all these different images of first his initial vision and then the Valley of the Dry Bones. And finally, though, He sees the vision of the wonder of the renewed eternal temple and the water flowing from it. Now, commentator after commentator through the centuries is asked, are these or any of the other visions literal or allegorical? There's no definite answer. Now, an earthly analogy, though, as I was thinking about this, as I thought there is no actual description that can prepare you for what the Grand Canyon looks like when you're actually there. I remember I saw it when I was in sixth grade, and I'd read all about it, and I'd looked at all kinds of pictures, and somehow I was expecting us to somehow get into sort of a mountain range, and then you'd see all these valleys and things like that. And I can still remember my breath absolutely taken away when we were driving along on this really flat uh, desert area, and I kept thinking, how far do we have to go? This is, you know, (laughs) are we there yet? (laughs) Um, But we, we come around this corner, and all of a sudden, there it was. 
It's a grand canyon. (laughs) It goes down. (laughs) And it was beyond anything that I could have imagined. And I imagine much of heaven, all of heaven, actually. And the final events on planet Earth will be like that. We might think we know. We might think that we have an idea of what will happen, but reality will be so, so different. Regardless of our understanding or not, Ezekiel prophesied a glorious future, and the book ends with a promise. And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is There. And that is the most glorious thing that we can hope for. Now, what is our focus supposed to be now? Remember, Jesus said that it isn't supposed to be on all these future events. What our focus is to be about now, he very clearly reminded us in Matthew 24, 36, but about that day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he goes on to say, though, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. In other words, don't be worried about the future. Do what you're called to do. And then, this is so good. In Acts 1, 6-8, it says, When they were together for the last time, Jesus and his disciples on earth, they said, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? And you can imagine Jesus just sort of, you know, beating his head against the wall, if possible, there, and just thinking, you know, I've been with you guys. I went to the cross, I rose from the dead, and you're back to asking these political questions? Give me a break. He just says, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. Not date setting or trying to figure out what is impossible to know. We are going, we are to be about faithfully doing the work he's given us to do, caring for those he's given us to care for, sharing the good news however we can. That is to be our focus. Finally, back to Daniel. He lived through the entire story of the captivity and the return. He saw all that had been prophesied come true from deportation to the return. His prophecies are about the near future of his people. Some are easy to follow, like if you go through the four kingdoms, it's really obvious that Alexander is the one in Greece and how his four generals following him and all that kind of stuff. His prophecies go to the coming of Jesus, years to the day of when he would appear. And they're of the far future. It's not so easy. There are lots of different interpretations, but for him, The message overall is that God is in control now and forever. And there's a final word to us. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Wise in the Hebrew is the word sakal, and it's word comprising those who know God's word, and live according to it. And what makes them wise is that they lead many to righteousness, not whining, being a worker and a witness wherever you are, seeing and reflecting the wonder 
of serving God and fulfilling Jesus' final command in Acts 1.8, where he tells us, remember, that we are to be his witnesses. Be encouraged by his promise to many of you because you are among the wise. You are those who study his word. You work to live by it. And through your lives and prayers, you work to lead many to righteousness so that and know that you will shine like the stars forever and ever. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson there in downloadable PDF format and the many other materials and lessons that are on www.bible805.com. And please tell your friends about the resources that are there to help them become wise, to help them become those who will shine like the stars forever and ever. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.